Thank you, Infinite Creator, for the opportunity to be present here with each other once again. And we are contemplating your logoic archetypal mind. And it gives us joy to explore your mind because your mind is our mind. And it helps us to understand the nature of consciousness, the nature of our work here. And the more we understand that, the more conscious beings we can become, more instruments of joy, peace, love, and perspective for other people. So we ask that you give us the open hearts and open minds to receive some of these concepts today. Amen. Okay, well, welcome everybody. Um, good group. What I'm going to do is I'll be doing this on a slideshow. The archetypal mind that Ra talks about is not necessarily the same word archetype as is used in common English, for example, uh, what is commonly known as an archetype. And it's, it's a little bit similar. The archetype uh, that Rod talks about, for me, it seems similar to almost like the periodic table of consciousness. So, for example, atoms, the periodic table, our atoms are the basic building blocks of all matter. And atoms themselves are made up of smaller parts. But atoms are the most basic physical things that have, they're all energy and they have slightly different charges and, you know, so on and so forth. So they are, they have a um, unique type of signature. So an iron atom is different than a carbon atom and so on and so forth. But what we have here is the atoms, the most basic rudimentary elements of consciousness, mind, body, and spirit, are these archetypes that Ra talks about. And it's basically um, ways in which energy has been parsed in unique ways and have their own charges, just like atoms do. And in and of themselves, they are unique objects, but they also work together to create molecules of consciousness. So just like atoms create molecules, these atoms or archetypes of consciousness can be combined to create some of the archetypes that we do call archetypes that are from Jung, for example. So you can think of Jung's archetypes as molecules, but the archetypes that we're going to be talking about is more basic than that, but actually, in my opinion, um, as important or more important, because if you get these, you can actually, and Ra gives some pretty good hints, and I'll hopefully talk about one or two of them tonight, but if not, next week on how to use some of these archetypes to um, do pretty amazing consciousness work, okay? 
But before we get all to that, we it's important for us to learn kind of um, how they arose in the infinite creator's mind. And then they got passed down to the sub-logos, which is our particular um, archetypal, the mind of the archetypal God, if you will, or the the mind of the logos that is that created us. And we share this mind with the logos, it's the same mind. Okay. We're the ones that put the flesh on the archetypes, the architecture of consciousness that the logos gives to us, the sub-logos gives to us. So um, it's, it's really neat to, to think about. But we're going to start again at the beginning, and we're just going to take a, we're going to go through this quickly. But I did draw some things. So hopefully these little graphics can make some sense. So in before anything, we have <clears throat> infinity. And the infinity is without any awareness. So I tried to get his gray, just gray, just blah. <laughs> uh, infinity becomes aware. So then we have intelligent infinity. And this is the light of awareness or uncreated light, as it's often called in, in the Christian tradition, the uncreated light, especially the Orthodox talks about the uncreated light. And I'm also calling it spirit. So you can see that there's, it's not just gray, there's like little dots everywhere on the screen. Okay, but you there, there's no, uh, it's still unmoving. It's just awareness without any kind of engagement with reality. So here we have something interesting. We have uh, the infinite creator becomes aware and there's two sides of intelligent infinity that Ra talks about. We have the unmoving side and the unmoving side is the ever-present background of undistorted light, pure and unadulterated awareness that never condensates into consciousness, okay? And then we have, um, and, and you can see that it's, it's, it's beyond consciousness and it's also behind consciousness. But we have the next side, the next type of, I'm sorry, the next side of intelligent infinity and that is pregnant with infinite potential. And this infinite potential, this pregnant infinite potential says one thing and this one thing is so important because it's what drives you and it drives me and that is the most basic drive that you and i will ever experience and that is i want to experience that's what the little baby does when a little baby reaches out and tries to grab something that's what um you know, my daughter does when she tries to dance ballet it's what we all do we're trying to experience ourselves, learn about ourselves. And that comes from that seeking is the original thought. But back the very beginning, it was simply the original thought to, hey, I'm aware, I'm conscious, let's, let's see what, uh, who I am. Now, what I'm saying here is that the original thought becomes a pro so this is more of a cross section before I had it flat so now this is kind of a side view as you can see and so the un um, 
to keep moving this around. Okay, so what we have is the pregnant with infinite potential and the original thought, which is I want to experience myself, becomes the primal catalyst. And again, this catalyst, this constant desire to seek more experience and self-knowledge is the original thought. And it gets nuanced as, as in humans and whatnot, but that's where it really originally comes from. Now, we add something else. Okay, um, number one, of course, we have the unpolarized. So we're continuing with the unpolarized, the, the side that never changes of intelligent infinity. But now, and we have the pregnant part of intelligent infinity. We have the original thought that is the primal catalyst. And the primal catalyst becomes the primal potentiator. So if you remember from last week, um, what does potentiator mean? Does anybody remember? <laughs> okay. Potentiator is that part of energy that starts to potentiate. It starts to gather, if you could call it energy, and then starts to see a focus. So I kind of think of it a little bit like take a Coke bottle, you know, and you've got a, a cap on it and just, you start shaking it up. It's, it's building and building. Potential is building and building and it starts to want to have a focus. And this um, primal potentiator becomes, it potentiates the act of becoming conscious. And becoming conscious for this infinite creator is the first cre it's the first thing that actually happens after awareness because awareness is the first uh, it's called the first distortion but the second distortion is love and so what happens is the primal potentiator and I'm, I've put it um, now as you can see in this golden area that's the that's also the prime the primal potentiator gets swollen swollen with uh-oh, did I lose you? Oh, no. It's swollen with um, this idea of wanting to become conscious. Swollen, pregnant with this idea of wanting to become conscious. And this is what Ra calls love. It's infinite energy. And it's love that hasn't yet it manifested, but it starts to form. Love is is you, it's energy at the highest level, it's pure potential energy, and it is that which unifies all things. So when God is love, it is indeed true. Okay, the next one, I um, turned it again on its side. So now it looks, I know it looks like an egg, but... <laughs> um, it looked like something else when it was still kind of vertical and I, I knew I'd get in trouble with that. <laughs> so uh, let's see. <clears throat> We're going to show down here um, back down to number three. So I just keep adding. So I wanted you guys to see this progress. The primal potentiator is, oh, no, you know what I just did is I just, uh, I just turned to its side. That's all I did. So this, this information is the same that you just saw. Okay, here's what happens though. We have number two, the 
intelligent infinity is pregnant with infinite potential. Okay, so that's this area right here. And then the primal logos is begotten. The primal logos is the, the seed form of consciousness that emerges up and then becomes its own focal point. And this focus is the primal logos and it also is the primal matrix. So the primal potentiator, the idea of consciousness comes up, it gets potentiated, 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 and then it busts through into a focal point. So now we have potentiator and matrix. Potentiator is the Coke bottle shook up and the matrix is the cap at the very top and the cap is where it's gonna about to come off, okay? And that is when the primal logos of which we all come was born or begotten, however you wanna say it, okay? So just look, and the reason why I chose gold is because gold uh, has this archetypal, I don't mean that in the sense of raw, but has a deep, deep mythic understanding of humans as wholeness. That's why I use the word gold, uh, the, the gold. So what's really interesting now is once we have the logos, what is the logos going to do? Well, the logos is going to create because that is all God does is create. And creating is, is not necessarily creating. It's just experiencing God's self eternally. Now, you and I would say the word create, but every time uh, you and I create, let's say, an art form, we could call it create, but really it's other ways for us to experience ourselves. See? And so the primal logo starts to have a seed thought. And that seed thought is, I want to create, to experience myself. Again, so we start seeing this repetition. And I have it here is, this is also gold. You can see that. It's inside the primal logos, but it's a slightly different coloration of gold. Because in some ways, the primal logos and its offspring, which I'm going to call the firstborn logos, are identical, but they're not the same. Because the firstborn logos actually has all of the experience of the primal logos, but now it has something else that the primal logos didn't have. And that is the experience of being created. Because the primal logos basically is the infinite creator comes to a focal point of consciousness. And that focal point of consciousness wants to create. So then we have a create a created thing, which is the firstborn logos. And the firstborn logos gets all of the tools and experience of the primal logos. But now it has one other thing, and that is this experience of being created. Okay? And that experience of being the firstborn logos actually gives the primal logos something it didn't have either before. 
And that is the experience of being the creator. So the primal, the, the firstborn logos, which is this, the really dark golden one, gives the creator, the, the primal logos, a sense of being a creator. So they, they give to each other, they give to each other experience. Now, if you're from a Christian background, can you see any of, of interest here in terms of some of the stuff that's talked about in terms of, let's say, Trinitarian theology? I'm not trying to say they're the same thing, but they could be seen from this particular lens as fairly, fairly congruent. Would anybody want to offer anything there? I'm definitely seeing some of the echoes in some of the, uh, you know, kind of the old story that history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. I can see some of the rhyme patterns in in this, you know, and the discussion of whether Christ was, you know, he calls himself the first begotten, the begotten, uh, and then the question, well, was he created or was he with in the beginning? And he was the you know, the actual word or God's, I put it in a rhyme, I said, in the beginning was the word, the manifest logic of God heard. So it was God, God's logic being expressed. And that's, and so yeah, I'm definitely seeing some of this. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and when you connect with other religions, they're going to have something similar to this. Um, that there is a creator, an original creator, and then the first created thing, um, yeah. which is I think be- of the, the whole Buddhist idea of you know no form, and then the moment that it comes from no form to form, you know, and and that almost like a generation from no form to the very first step of being form, yeah, and actually, yeah. Cool. Now, what you just said was interesting because at this level of manifestation, we. We don't have manifested form. There is no manifested form yet. There isn't a big bang or anything like that. That comes along down the way. And we're not even going to get into that because that's yeah, that would take us too far afield. But there is form in the sense of a condensated consciousness. So, for example, no form at all would be awareness without any distortions, any nothing, you know, pure, unadulterated, pure awareness that never condensates or engages with man, you know, anything. But once they all be defined, but once awareness comes to a focal point of consciousness, that is like God with the lights on, (laughs) you know, lights on of consciousness. And that's a kind of form because, and Ross says this, Ross says that um, all, uh, everything has a center. Infinity has a center. Logoi have, a, have centers. Every form of consciousness has a center from which it all goes out this way. You see? So that center part is a focal point and that's form in, in the unmanifested realms. If you could, if you can, so we have, you know, there's two, there's two different kinds of form. There's a form that's unmanifested, but still like a condensation of consciousness. 
and then there's the manifested. And think about it this way. Like, have you ever had somebody pass in your life, like passed away? Um, they're not physically here anymore, but you feel their presence or you feel a sense like if you go and visit somewhere, it's like, oh, my God, I feel like the, his or her presence is here. Yes. Yeah, that would be an unmanifested form of consciousness that you can sense. Uh, but it doesn't take in, you know, manifest manifestation that we see. Did someone about to say something there? No. OK. All right. Um. And the reason why I wanted to show this is because what we have here is an important development in the evolution of God's mind, if you will. We have a potential, we have a catalyst, which is original thought. Then we have the potentiator, which takes that original thought and condensates it and then starts to focus potentiate, shake up that Coke bottle. And then the seed form of, of a consciousness arises and then becomes the singularity at the very top. And that is the primal logos. And the primal logos immediately wants to experience itself. Why? What is the catalyst that the primal logos is experiencing? The original thought. And the original thought is, I want to experience myself. So that's why there's always this, always this movement to experience, to experience, seeking, seeking, seeking. And here's the other interesting thing is that once the primal logos begets the firstborn logos, I said about there, I said that there was an original thought and now we have something new and that's called the original desire. This is what Ra talks about. The original thought is to experience. Part B of that is the original desire. So what is the original desire? Because this drives human beings every moment. Anybody know what the original desire is? The original desire, Ra says, is that all entities will seek and become one. So the original thought is to seek experience, and that's why we create. But what is created, once it's out there, has this original desire, which is to return. Does this sound like any biblical, uh, you know, the, prodigal, the prodigal child? Seeking out and then returning. Prodigal son, also the uh, high priestly prayer, John 17. Could you repeat that again? And also the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. Okay, where he's, you know, say that. Uh, where he's praying, you know, uh, make them one with us like we were in the very beginning. And that was like his chief desire is that we'd all be one. I and you. And you and me. me. We and you. Yeah, may they all be one. So there it is. It's the, it's the primal... Um, the original thought is to is to explode out on the scene to experience self. And then that now is because of the firstborn logos has this next desire, which is to um, 
original desire, which is to seek and become, become one. So it's always this outward and inward. Do you see a do you see a breathing? Do you see a heartbeat? That's what sets up the rhythm of life right there. Outward, express, and then the desire to seek and become one again. But every time it becomes one, it doesn't become un uniformity. <laughs> it doesn't melt into nothing, you know, unmerging unmer into where identity is, uh, is gone. It, it merges back into a fullness and plenum so that there is um, it, always this sense of in individuatedness. Even though one, the but the consciousness is is shared. So the but the firstborn firstborn logos and the primal logos share the same awareness, the same consciousness. Okay, it's not until we get to manifestation, physical manifestation, do you start to see um, beings not sharing in the same levels of, of consciousness. Uh, Ra talks about that most of existence has never split from the unity of consciousness, even though there's a myriad of beings. Um, so really manifestation, the way that you and I experience is kind of novel. Um, but it gets better. So we're going to move now. Um, a quick random question. Absolutely. So uh, maybe you'll talk about this later, but from the original thought and original desire, mm -hmm. do you said there's like a like a breathing in and breathing out? Yeah. Are there any? Would you ascribe like one a masculine and one a feminine as well to those? Um. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk I, about I think. That later. I think that that. I think that's a good point. Dynamism. Dynamic tension happens at the very beginning. The very, very beginning. So we have the original thought is, you could say that that impulse is a masculine principle to reach out. Now, we're not saying masculine in terms of man, but we're saying that, you know, a plus, a, a, a plus polarity of moving out. I'm not talking about moral polarity either. These terms aren't very good, but... Just, just for the sake of ease, say masculine and feminine principle, okay? So the masculine principle to right. reach out, and then once it's created, the feminine principle in both the creator and the created want to reach in together. So that's the feminine principle of, of unification. Uh, and I think identity, individual identity can be given up and surrendered, but I think individuated identity stays on, even if your identity is, I am God. Uh, but yeah, we can, we can return to that later. Anyways, yeah. I'm skipping now uh, <laughs> infinite amounts of time and now moving into this level of the infinite creator that has experienced manifestation. This is before our octave. What is an octave? An octave is, is that it's the first density, the second density, third density, all the way up to the seventh density. And then the seventh density 
At the graduation of that, the eighth density is the first density of the next octave. So what happened was, is before our experience of the Big Bang, or whatever, I mean, right now, some people say there wasn't a Big Bang, some people say there was, but let's just say that there was a big, there's a Big Bang 13.5 billion years ago. Prior to that, there was a whole experience of manifestation that then finally came into some sort of singularity. All of the creator's knowledge of itself became distilled into a singularity. And then who knows if there were how much time, time didn't exist, but there might have been a, you know, a lag time there. But then eventually blew out on the scene again. And Ross says, uh, Don says, well, did this, the logos of our octave, in other words, uni God, <laughs> universe God, did the logos of our octave have any tools to work with in creating the third density experience? Because that's the third density experience is the first density where uh, creation becomes self-aware. And so that's what Don is asking. Well, did the did the logos have any tools handed down from the last octave and the harvest of that? And Ross says, yes. Yes, actually, that's true. There was, and that's why I've got it here. It there there was um I'm just gonna read some of the stuff that I have here, and then I'll go through. There were no unconscious or conscious levels of mind prior to the veil. Prior at the very beginning of this oct uh, this octave and manifestation, the first third density ex experiences, nobody had a veil, and th so therefore there wasn't really a sense of a, an unconscious or a conscious. All that was needed to explore the different levels of the deep mind. All that was needed was the will to do so. But without the veil, there was very little will. It's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? We only go seeking in things in life when we feel like we need to seek them. But Ra talks about uh, at this level, in fact, this is what they say in, in um, session 82, Quote, consider, if you will, the tendency of those who are divinely happy, as you would call this distortion, to have little urge to alter or better their condition. Such is the result of the mind-body-spirit, which is not complex. In other words, there wasn't a veil. There is the possibility of love of other selves and service to other selves, but there is an overwhelming awareness of the creator in the self. The connection with the creator is that of the umbilical cord. The security is total. Therefore, no love is terribly important. No pain is terribly frightening. No effort, therefore, is made to serve for love or to benefit from fear. Those things just didn't exist. And the way I kind of almost picture it in my head is um, I I'm sure that third density beings early on didn't weren't really kelp but in my mind i kind of think of like a forest of sea kelp you know that grow to be like a hundred feet long and it's they're rooted into the consciousness of god um 
and they're, they just grow, uh, and they're just divinely happy, just kind of like chilling with the waves of the Holy Spirit, you know? And then if, let's say, Edna to my left just like gets yanked out and dies, I want to be like, oh, man, well, no big deal, because I can just talk to you, Edna, in time-space, you know? It's, your body's gone, and I have no, you know, compassion. I mean... <laughs> The whole point of having compassion is that you know you get a sense of separation because you're going to feel the pain of somebody else. But if there's no sense of separation at all, you and I are one, we're all in the creator, and if your body dies, well, then there's no veil. So I can just talk. To, I, you know that conversation we were just having? I know you just died, but let's just keep chatting on that because that was some interesting stuff, Edna. You know? Um and you're going to be coming back, yo. I mean, shoot. Why don't you come back as my daughter? Wouldn't that be cool? You know, <laughs> there's just no sense of um, trans transformation, the growth, because what are you growing to? You've already, you're already fairly enlightened, or at least you think you are. Uh there's no sense of not having the total access to God. So um, Ra talks about the experience of these mind-body spirits at the beginning of the octave was singular. And it, was res and it resulted in a situation of the most pallid experiential nexus in which lessons were garnered at the relative speed of the turtle to the cheetah. So think about the difference between a turtle and a cheetah. Um, and are probably me and Serac would imagine uh, Serac is a young young lad who can run a lot faster than me. But anyways, the point is is that what you got is pallid means dull, you know, not vibrant at all, just just dull color. And that was the intensity of the experience of the early third density entities that were going in. So what did they have? Well, Ross says that they had a sense of a matrix. Matrix is, is the Coke bottle cap. We're all, all of the, and they had the sense of the potentiator. So the potentiator is the shaking up of the Coke bottle cap to the matrix that, that puts into action and there was a sense of the significator, but it was not fully developed. Because what is a significator? Well, I haven't introduced that one yet. But a significator, if anybody knows Spanish, which there's a few people here, significar or significado, that means like meaning, the meaning of things. So significant or the significator is the self, the part of the mind that makes sense, makes meaning of what is coming up from the potentiator into the matrix. And the significator says, okay, I want to take action. I'm going to channel this energy towards this goal or that goal. And you and I have really robust and well-developed significators because we have the veil. But prior to the veil, the, the significator was an idea that was there. It was a conception, but it wasn't fully fleshed out yet because 
if I'm completely at one with God and I know everybody else is and all of my experience of there's never been any pain that has been that terrifying because I, I just automatically have resources to the deep mind of God, you know, if I want that, um, then I may not have a real strong sense of self because it's the strong sense of self comes from uh, experience of, of falling and getting back up and learning from the pain and then you know, death and resurrection, death and resurrection. So uh, there wasn't a real strong sense of the significator self. Now, I said there was a matrix. Okay, so the matrix is that is that which becomes activated to put things forward. But and there was a potentiator that collected the energy and then gets bigger and bigger, and bigger, and that wants to express itself. So the potentiator touches the matrix. But there really wasn't much of an the catalyst archetype really just wasn't there very much either. Because the catalyst archetype, if you know all the pain is not that big of a deal and there's no love that's in terribly intense, there's really not much catalyst. Because what Ross says is all that assaults your senses is catalyst. All that assaults your senses is catalyst. And the more intense the catalyst is here on third density with the veil, the more that we can learn and the more that it, it empowers our seeking to express and to unify the original thought and the original desire. Sirak, did you have a question? Oh, okay. Um, so, Sorry, I'm doing random. Oh, that's okay. So there wasn't much of a sense of catalyst, nor was there much of a sense of experience. They had, Raw talks about they had an appreciation of catalyst. They had an appreciation of experience. They had an appreciation of a significator. But it remained what Raw calls inchoate. Are you familiar with that term, inchoate? <laughs> I had to look it up, but it's one of those funny words that you'll, you'll see in the Law of One material. Um, inchoate means not yet fully formed, kind of dark, just out, out, just right outside. And you guys have probably had that. I mean, I know I have in my life is you get something, it's, there's a seed thought. It sounds like, yeah, this might work, but I don't even know what that is. Sometimes you have to write it out, write things out. And then all of a sudden it becomes a lot more crystal clear as to what, what was below. You know what I mean? So, but before it was crystal, before it was more clear, you know that there's something there, it makes sense, but you can't really articulate it or understand it. That's called inchoate. So the significator archetype was inchoate, the catalyst archetype was inchoate, and experience was inchoate. But they, they thought it was important, they just didn't know how it fit. Okay? Uh, and when I mean they, I mean the, the logoi, the different logoi, because if you think about it, we have a center to the universe and it comes out this way. So all the logoi, all the different galaxies and stars around the center are going to be experiencing right around the same time their experiences of third density. And then as we get out further and further from the center, all the experiences that were learned by the central logoi are passed down immediately to the outer logoi. 
And so the outer logoi are benefiting from the experiences on the, of the inner logoi. It's like you're the student and then you go through school and then you become the teacher. <laughs> but it's all happening, you know, immediately because there's not a sense of um, time and there's not a sense of, I mean, it's just whatever is known is automatically known throughout at this level. This might be what I mean, Diana, is that they all share the all mind, uh, but they're also individual. I mean, sure, Milky is a little, you know, Milky, our galaxy Milky is going to be a little bit different than, uh, you know, our Andromeda God is going to be a little bit different than all, you know, Caspia or whatever. Um, now, we are going to move into some interesting stuff. What were the experiences of the early Logoi? I have been fascinated by this. Like, what was it? What would it be like to be a human with no veil? Like, n the society you came from had no veil. You've never, you don't even know what that would be. So, Ross says, let us illustrate by observing the relative harmony and unchanging quality of existence in one of your, as you call it, primitive tribes. The entities have the concepts of the lawful and taboo, but the law is inexorable and all events occur as predestined. There is no concept of right or wrong, good or bad. It is a culture in monochrome. In other words, just think of like very little distinctions. It's all gray, monochrome, that kind of thing. That's their experience of vitality. And the way that I've kind of understood it, it's like uh, almost like a Buddha-like mindfulness without developed compassion nor developed wisdom. Everybody's walking around like super, super centered and <laughs> mindful because there's always an awareness of the now. There's always an awareness of um, being connected, but there's not going to be a robust sense of compassion uh, and you're not going to have a lot of developed wisdom because wisdom is is often garnered through um, explorations of things. But if I feel like I'm only going to explore things if I have a real strong sense of seeking, like I have a desire to seek. But if I'm already connected to everything, then I don't have no need to seek. Because I already have got everything I've got. So that's what I mean. It's like um, there's little, it, it, it would be equivalent to some of the, um, There, I know that there's a, there, there's a few tribes that are yet, quote, undiscovered. Uh, and the, there, there's a few of them. And they, what has been studied on, uh, vis-a-vis -vis other tribes that are similar is that some of these tribes have been around for many, 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 many thousands of years and have not evolved or developed because there hasn't been a need to. Now there's, now there's a need to because we're encroaching in on the rainforest and so on and so forth. But their, their sense of the way the world works has worked for them. You see? Um, in any case, they still have the veil, of course, uh, because they're on Earth. 
so they don't have a sense of total unity the way Ra talks about here without the veil. But nevertheless, um, why would one need to progress when there's no sense that progression is even an option? Because you already automatically feel like you are connected with everything. The significator, Ra says, the significator of the mind was declared complex. In other words, these Logoi got together and said, we're not getting a lot of uh, intensity here. You know, just it's like we've got this desire, this original thought and this original desire to like express and explore. And then when we get to these third density entities, they're just like, <laughs> it's inflation. They don't even want to uh, explore much. You know, it's like ugh, stagnant. So they're not giving a whole lot of. Uh, intensity and vibration to the to the infinite creator of learning about itself or the of the different logoi learning about themselves so they came up with this very novel concept concept and that is we are going to declare that the significator is an individuated entity that from the significator's point of view they're separate not from our point of view, not from the logoic point of view. We know they're, they're us, but they're not going to know that they are us, and they're not going to know that they're all one. And this wasn't a punishment. This was incredibly novel and genius way for, for evolution to start taking place, spiritual evolution to start taking place on this side of manifestation. Okay? And so the significator, which is the self that makes meaning, seeks to know and decides why it seeks and what it wants to know becomes individuated. And now this would be very similar to the mythic story of the Garden of Eden. What happens in the Garden of Eden? The whole, you know, race for the knowledge of good and evil and being exposed to more and supposedly being exposed, but actually limited, being limited. <laughs> uh, that was an interesting catalyst. Anybody hear that? Oh, okay. Fred, you're, you kind of fried over there a little bit. Um, oh. Yeah, so the Garden of Eden, you know, this whole idea of an Edenic conditions and then wanting to eat of the apple from the tree of good and evil or the tree of wisdom is this sense of entering into the world of separation or an, the illusion of separation or the illusion of duality. Um, and that was the that was the Logoi putting this veil in between the conscious mind, so we have an iceberg here, the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. So you can see that the veil is semi-permeable. It means you are able to penetrate it. But now there's a, there's a separation between the unconscious mind and the conscious mind. Okay? And what happened there is that it rearranged the archetypes and it added some new ones in. And why I think it's important to know these things, like I said, is because you can learn 
it's like ever since I've been working on this, I, I see with my mind's eye all these archetypes that are part of my energetics now. And it's like I can see where that so that's a catalyst and I can see where it came from in the in the archetype of experience and the archetype of experience. I can even see where it's shelved inside the archetype of experience. And I, I feel like I'm getting agency now as my significator, being able to understand a little bit more the overall unconscious so I can make these conscious choices. Um, and I really think it's just it's incredible psychology, to be honest. I mean, it's psychology and spirituality is, have tried to do this, done a fairly good job over the millennia. Uh, but what Ra offers us in terms of the archetypes is the the actual flow of the logoic mind. It's our own psychology. And when you can understand that, it um, it kind of helps us. And so we'll be talking a couple of sessions from now on how understanding these things can actually make a difference in your life, in your daily life, because that's what one of the homework stuff that we're going to work on. Um, so I'm aware that it's nine o'clock. Uh, let me just finish this page and then, um, we'll, this will prime us perfectly for jumping into it next time. So what were the experiences after the veil? Uh, the primary veiling was of such significance that it may be seen to be analogous to the mantling of the earth over all the jewels within the earth's crust. Whereas previously, all facets of the creator were consciously known. After the veiling, almost no facets of the creator were known to the mind. Almost all was buried beneath the veil. So that, that gives you an idea of, of the difference. Um, and so suddenly the original thought and the original desire of the one infinite creator to seek, to find, and to know suddenly becomes very intense. And I, I would argue, Ra doesn't say this, but I would argue it matches now the intensity of the original thought and the original desire in the one infinite creator at the very beginning. Because it's pure thought I want to experience and then pure desire I want to unify and become in union. And so now with the veil in place for third density entities, our frequency, if you will, of the original, our original thought or the original thought coming through us and the original desire coming through us now is going to be more congruent to the, the infinite creators because of the veil. Something very important happened, and that is the faculty of faith was developed. And I think the faculty of faith is kind of like the original thought plus the original desire in the veiled form. Because with the original, the, with faith, it's and this is what Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. Faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of, we, of what we cannot see. So these are not things that we can see or not things that we can fully understand, but we, we are assured. That's the weird things. We have assurance that they're there and that we have hope for these things. Well, what is that if that's not the original thought and the original desire, the original thought to express ourselves, that our expression has 
merit, that it's moving towards something, and that our hope that that we will uh, move into a, a more elevated or evolution a stage of evolution that's bigger than where we're at right now, and a hope to become more and more unified and in union as a fulfillment of our own longings of of connection. So I think the original thought and the original desire, my this is my speculation, um, becomes faith and hope uh, after the veil. And then the last thing that happened that changed everything was this sense of a choice emerged. The moral polarity became a metaphysical electromagnetic uh, magneticism causing an intensity of experience. Because if you don't have a, if you have a veil, then this sense of a service to others or to do something that was absolutely impossible to do prior to the veil, which would be service to self. It didn't even dawn on them. Ross says that the potential was always there, but it wasn't even explored or anything because nobody could even go. It wasn't even a concept for third density entities to do. It'd be like trees going to war at each other, <laughs> like the oak tree and, you know, Two oak trees, like, mm, it's not even in the realm of possibility. And so what emerged there was the polarity, uh, positive polarity, service to others, the negative polarity, to service to self. Right hand of God, left hand of God comes together. Rub, 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 rub. Feeling the heat. Making it intense. That turtle becomes the cheetah. So... Great way to end. Um, is this uh, is this interesting? You kind of get a sense of the, this the mind of the logos and our mind a little bit. What do you anybody have any thoughts or interest in this? Very interesting, uh, Doug, and I do appreciate the slides. Um, it makes it easier to slowly digest everything and make sense of it. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And um, so we have some really cool slides in the flow, the flow chart of the logos. <laughs> uh, that's going to be coming next week. And um, once we get the flow down, which is basic psychology, galactic, cosmic psychology, maybe I'll found, maybe that could be like the archetypal cosmic psychology will be like in the DSM 20 instead of the DSM 5, but you know, way down the way. But anyways, uh, and then we're going to take each archetype the way that Ra talks about, and we're going to look at the images. Because once we have this sense of the flow of things, we can look at the images. And once you get the image, it's like, wow, okay, I can see how this all fits. Um, so we're going to end. And is anybody could anybody um, close us out? Kind of a benediction. Yeah, Doug, I'd be happy to, man. All right, Sirach, thank you. Uh, um, one last question, sorry, before we wrap up. Just sure. a quick, small question. So once, so after the veil, the archetypes then go to like the 18 or 20 so or so. So pre-veil, there's like three or four. Pre-veil, pre -veil, there are nine out. archetypes. Three for body, three for mind, and three for spirit. Uh, Post-veil... Okay. Cool. 
there are 22. There's seven for mind, seven for body, seven for spirit, and then one that the significator of the mind is paired with because it has to decide, am I going to choose service to self or service to others? So 22. Cool, man. Cool. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for letting me lead this prayer. Let's all close our eyes and uh, take a deep breath in and breathe out. Let's do one more. Ah, breathe out. We thank you for this time to know more about ourselves, which in turn help us know more about you. Um, uh, I'm, I'm struck with the futility of these post-veil brains that we have that are so incapable of remembering information. But I pray and hope that we would cultivate faith in our lives, which has less to do with the information we consume and more with the level of consciousness that we exist at. And I, and I pray that we would be light um, as we know your mind, which is reflected in our mind, the same mind. I pray that we would reflect your light, which is the light inside of us, which is the same light and the love that is the thing that started it all, I pray that we would show and shine that love to those around us within ourselves to know that we are the creator and to know that we are all one. Thank you for, for Doug and the time and energy he's putting into sharing these ideas with us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I look forward to seeing you next uh, Tuesday, and we're going to jump right back on in.